0: Listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. I love our worship team. Uh, I just really appreciate the work that they've done to help stir my affections for for Christ this morning and kind of get me oriented on what we're talking about. And I I feel like I really need it this morning because as we've been journeying through this series on forgiveness, it generates a a lot of things for a lot of us, not the least of which is that it can reopen wounds or begin to touch on those scabs in our heart that we haven't really addressed. And so it's not the easiest subject matter to jump into, but it's important for us to realize that biblically there is a a process and a way in which God desires to help us experience the freedom that Christ offers through the lenses of forgiveness. So a couple weeks ago, there was a record-breaking run by a gentleman named Kelvin. Kelvin ran the fastest marathon in recorded history in the Chicago Marathon a few weeks ago. He finished the marathon in two hours and 35 seconds. Average pace per mile, four, four minutes and 21 seconds. Per, per mile, for 26 miles. It was amazing. It was an amazing feat. Fun to watch, just incredible to see. It was like, as he was running, it was as though it was effortless. He finished, and when I've finished marathons in the past, I feel like I'm ready to die. This guy, it looked like he could have run another four. I mean, it was insane. But if I said to you, gentleman named Kelvin, two hours, 35 seconds, fastest recorded marathon in history, and I ask you one question. The question is, where is he from? What would you say? Kenya. Kenya. 100%. Right? You would know, and I would know, because there's some level of culture or understanding that Kenyans are fast runners. It's what they do. Now, you could have been wrong because there's certainly other fast runners that exist in this world, but predominantly those who are at the top of the running echelon and those who are the fastest tend to be these Kenyans who train and run and they're they're just fast. Certainly there are other fast runners, but you would be right in assuming that he was Kenyan. I want to offer you this morning with that firmly placed in your mind as we talk about the understanding and biblical way in which we approach forgiveness. It's the very same thing as we think about how the Bible calls us to approach forgiveness. Now certainly, we live in a world where other people certainly have the ability to forgive. But if we were in the state that we should be biblically, if we put ourselves under the authority of the scriptures... And you would look at the context of the challenges in our world, and a story would come up on the screen, and it was a a story of just absolute forgiveness and grace extended to someone who had harmed someone else. Should it not be that the very thing that we would say in that moment is, I bet they know Jesus? Should it should it not be that same level of a say we might be wrong? But if forgiveness is as robust as the Bible calls it to be in our lives, should not that be the common assessment of what forgiveness looks like with clothes on out in the world? As forgiveness lives and breathes, we as believers in Jesus Christ have the most robust truth on what forgiveness is. And yet, I would say that in the current state of affairs in the context of our culture, I'm not sure that that would be the assessment. We might say that someone who offers absolute and extreme forgiveness in a very difficult situation, we would say, man, that must have been hard, but it just seems like he's a really nice guy. But we wouldn't necessarily build the bridge or make that jump or the assessment that that person knows Jesus. Why? What are we missing as we think about the assessment of what forgiveness is and the reality of what the Bible has communicated about forgiveness? What's the challenge for myself and for you as we think about how we've been wounded? What ways in which are we thinking theologically that somehow in some ways forgiveness is not just a, a natural state of affairs as we look at what we've been forgiven of through the lenses of the cross, but rather just the sense in which we still feel like there's a debt that needs to be paid by someone else who's hurt me and I get to be the one that manages that debt. What makes forgiveness so hard? What, why is the culture and the current state of affairs for followers of Christ make forgiveness not a natural result to the wounding that we've experienced? Well, I think there's a lot, not the least of which, I think often one of the things that we really wrestle with when we talk about forgiveness is we feel like forgiveness is letting someone off the hook. That somehow we're minimizing what they've done to the point where we feel like if we just allow them and forgive them for the things that they've done, All it does is endorse their bad decisions. They're only gonna hurt more people. And so in the context of trying to offer forgiveness, it feels like I don't want to let them off the hook because I don't want to tell them that what they did was okay. I would suggest to you this morning that that's what we're jumping into. How do we understand biblical forgiveness married to biblical justice? How is forgiveness not letting someone off the hook? Think forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, is not letting someone off the hook. It's letting the hooks they have in you out of you. It's getting all of those things that are tying you up inside and the turmoil that exists in my own heart when I've been hurt by people that I've extended grace and love to, those wounds that continue to fester, those scars over my heart that tend to still be sensitive areas of life. What does biblical forgiveness actually afford me? And I would suggest to you this morning that what we're gonna find as we jump into a couple of scriptures is freedom. Biblical forgiveness understood in the categories of a robust theology with our view of the cross is gonna give us the very thing that we're searching for but can't find, freedom. Freedom to not be entrenched and consumed by the wounds that have been done to me. Or maybe even the wounds that I've done to others, that shame can be equally gripping when I feel embarrassed of the decisions that I've made in my own life and the people that I've hurt. Both of those things, I think, are going to be addressed this morning. So if you will, we're going to be in Luke 17 this morning as we initially start. In Luke 17, Jesus is continuing to do teaching, and here he's really going to address the issues of temptations and sin. And then he's going to do it through the lenses of faith. The lenses of sin itself. And really, the essence of this passage is biblical forgiveness. I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 6 in Luke chapter 17. That's what he says to the disciples. Temptations to sin are sure to come. Well, no true words have ever been spoken, Right? That you and I are gonna find ourselves in categories where there is gonna be constant and chronic temptations to sin. They are sure to come. If there's any guarantee in life, you will leave this morning and you might even be sitting here now tempted to sin. They're sure to come daily and with utter frequency. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And I want to stop Jesus right there and say, that's not so easy. You've oversimplified the reality of what's going on. I don't understand what you're asking of me. Okay, if I see a brother sinning, then I can communicate to them, a follower of Christ, of saying, hey, this is not the way or the pattern that God has called you to live. God has something so much better for you. And there's a, there's a sense of mercy and tenderness and love in those moments where if we're willing to, continue, to encourage one another and rebuke one another in the midst of sin, we be like, okay, this is great. We can, we can work together through these things. And he says, if he sins against you, What do you do? Well, you tell him. And if he repents, then what? You forgive him. Now, I I want it to feel like it's oversimplified in this moment, but Jesus takes it up a notch. And here's what he says in verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must Forgive him. (laughs) Come on, man. Like, this is craziness. Like, this isn't just your kid coming to you and putting their hand in the cookie jar and saying, you know, dad, sorry, took a cookie. You're like, it's all right. Just don't do it again. And they take six more cookies. You're like, come on, you're not getting it. You don't understand. You're not really sorry. Your repentance isn't genuine. That's my assessment. Every time someone sins against me, multiple times. And yet, in the context of this scripture, Jesus is communicating that sin is at the threshold of our hearts when we find ourselves unwilling to extend forgiveness. How? How could that be possible? All I'm trying to do is prevent sin from happening. I'm trying to be gracious, but I don't want to continue to over and over and over again realize that this person is going to do the same thing to me over and over again. And so it seems in this text, the millstone around my neck feels easier than forgiving someone who sinned against me seven times in a day. Does it not? Like there's a weight that comes in Luke 17. How do we find ourselves living underneath the beauty of this text without being crushed by it? I think what Jesus is communicating here is that sin, our ability to want to manage life, ultimately, I think the sin that he's addressing is that we want to be the kings of our own kingdom and allow God to be a part of our lives, but we get to call the shots. And what sin does, when sin is done to us and we struggle with forgiveness, here's what happens. It's competing against our own authority of our own lives. I don't want this. I don't like this. And I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And yet the the challenge of what that means is to say, how am I going to move in to understanding what it means to forgive someone who sinned against me multiple times in a day? They've done the same thing over and over. Is there any hope for change? Will they ever be different? Is their repentance genuine? Those are all the questions that I have in the midst of this text. And I think what Jesus is giving us a lens towards is this very thing. Forgiveness must begin with an accurate view of the cross. Because as we look at this text in Luke 17, the deeper meaning, the real struggle in this text is that's us in our relationship with God. And it's not seven times, it's seven million times. In a day, we have defied the character and the nature and the the faithfulness of God in our lives with just utter frequency. How many times have you or I, in the midst of a 24-hour period, said to God, I'm really sorry. I won't do that again. I promise. I'm really, really going to do better. Four hours later, life is difficult. Stress hits in. Same thing. Again and again. The view of this text gives us a view of our own inadequacy to do the very thing, but actually moves us to a place of receiving and understanding what we're actually given. You can come to Christ seven times times a day with the same sin and expect forgiveness how do we carry that out i think the very next portion of this scripture these next couple of verses give us a sense of the very thing that you and i need what's the raw material that you and i need to be able to extend forgiveness to those who have harmed us time and time again Do we have to continue to put ourselves up are we just a walking wounded where we just have to continue to be hurt all the time And I think that forgiveness, as much as it's anything, is a faith-building exercise. Do we trust the power of the resurrected Christ to be at work in ways beyond what we can see that maybe, just maybe, the eighth time someone comes to you that's hurt you in the same way they hurt you seven times before, something is different. God has gotten a hold of their life and yours in such a way that redemption and change and transformation is possible. Yeah, look at these next few, few verses, five and six. And I, I want us to hang on to this as sort of a, a pattern and a, a track that we're gonna run in for the rest of our lives. We find ourselves struggling in relationships or just about anything that comes our way that just does not make sense. Here is the predominant request that we're asking of a heavenly father who loves his children, who is working in innumerable ways. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said this, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus is communicating that that's the exact right reality of what we face when we face unforgiveness in our hearts it's an issue of faith it's not just an issue of where we've been wounded but it does expose in our very hearts to our very core that there's an issue of what it means to really trust God in those difficult spaces how do we find faith to do what's asked of us in Luke 17 and the apostles ask the very they plead the very thing that you and I are asking for God I don't have faith for this Can you increase it? And so what what does Jesus say? He said mustard seed faith can move mulberry trees and mountains. Mustard seed faith. Just a little bit. Just the smallest seed that exists in all of nature becomes this huge blossoming tree. It's this example of saying, look, you don't need a huge quantity of faith. You need your faith to be in the object of that which has all the resources of heaven." You need to know that your faith is in something, not your ability to forgive, not your hope that the other person will change. Your faith is in Christ, the resurrected Jesus who conquered death and has extended forgiveness to you and me the innumerable times that we've asked for it. Every time we've pled for God to be rich in his mercy and lavish in his love towards his people, and he has extended mercy, time, And time again, those same battles with sin, those same struggles, those same times where we've told God we know better than Him, every single time, God has extended forgiveness to us. There is not a moment where God will withhold forgiveness for those who ask. Praise God. Like, that is something that's significant. And yet, when we've been wounded, we, finding, we find ourselves wanting to withhold forgiveness from those who have wounded us because we believe that they need to pay for the debt that they've done. And in part, that's true. How do we wrestle with that? Is forgiveness letting someone off the hook? Is it telling those who have offended you and me, it's all right, brother and sister, not a big deal. We'll just wash it away and pretend it didn't happen don't think that's biblical forgiveness either he says rebuke identify the sin like we talked about last week define the debt tell us tell me what the sin is because we have to know what the sin is to know where the forgiveness is and so what do we do how do we understand what forgiveness really is if it's not just letting someone get away with the junk that they've done 2018 actually netflix came out with a, a movie on it called athlete a anybody watch it it's an amazing story, right? This is a story of USA Gymnastics and Dr. Larry Nasser and just the chronicles of abuse that have taken place in these young gymnast lives. It's insane, it's insidious, it's, it's crazy to see how much the perpetrator of these abuses was protected while these girls were continuing to be wounded chronically day in and day out. The system protected the perpetrator over those who were actually abused. As it went through the story, there's a general, a late lady in there who was abused by Larry Nasser, and her name is Rachel Del Hollander. She was made famous in a, a book that she wrote called What's a Girl Worth? Um, but also on the Mars Hill podcast, she was one of the ones that was commentating on abuse itself. But, Her story came through in this uh, Athlete A uh, documentary. And here's what she says. She said, I I did want to forgive, she writes, but I didn't want my forgiveness to be used as an excuse to act as if something terrible wasn't really bad. Prominent Christian teachers had implied, you haven't really forgiven and trusted until you can be thankful for the evil that was done to you. Uy, Is that really what forgiveness means? It wasn't right. But I had heard from authority figures, so I often felt alone in my grief. She describes just the challenge of what it was like to walk this tension. I know that the Bible has called me to forgive. And yet the systems and the structures in place make me feel like I'm the guilty one for not doing it. When I was the one that was being abused. Is that biblical forgiveness? <laughs> so what God is talking about here is that somehow in some way we just have to allow things continue to happen in such a way that we just have to live alone in our grief and somehow minimize or manage the sin that's been done to us. The answer biblically is No. That's not biblical forgiveness. That's not what the Bible is talking about, that we we have to be able to identify the debt, that we have to communicate and rebuke, as Luke 17 says, see what's wrong and say it. Like, we need to know that this is not right and come around those victims who have been abused in significant ways. Athlete A, as the documentary goes through, and it's a hard watch, I'll be honest with you. But I think it's important to understand, because as Rachel Dell Hollander gets up and they allowed all of the girls that were abused by Dr. Larry Nasser to give victim impact statements, to communicate what had actually happened to their lives because of the freedom that he took with their bodies. And her victim impact statement ended with this: "I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. We can see that biblical forgiveness doesn't have to minimize the justice that needs to be done. We just don't need to be the ones that are authoring that justice. We're releasing them to the full and perfect fairness of God himself and saying, look, you get to be the one who is accurately assessing this system, that you accurately know what justice needs to be done. It's not as though Dr. Larry Nasser, as Rachel extended forgiveness to her, as as she extended forgiveness to him, that somehow he was all of a sudden off the hook, that, that there were still consequences he needed to live out for the decisions that he's made. But the forgiveness that she extended was releasing him into the hands of God who knew what fair justice was. It no longer had to have a hold in her life, that it, it moved from being an identity statement of who she was, that every time she was being related to, she was being related to as though someone had abused her, and now she's related to as someone who has been experiencing the freedom that Christ offers as she extended forgiveness to him, and it's part of her testimony, but it's not her entire story. See, but that's where forgiveness or unforgiveness keeps us trapped. We're trapped in this box of somehow expecting that if I don't see the consequences of someone's actions and if they don't incur the debt that I think that they deserve, we remain trapped. It actually becomes the only way that we end up relating with people. That our entire story is fixated on this one event. And it's all that people know about us. And yet God says your story is so much bigger. And in the process of those things, as we progressively move towards allowing God to free us from these things that have happened to us, we realize that they are part of our testimony, but not the fullness of our identity. So I think what Jesus is saying here is that forgiveness never undermines justice. Never. It's not as though we're trying to sweep it under the rug or pretend it didn't happen or minimize the impact that it had on our lives. We're releasing the hooks of forgiveness or unforgiveness in our heart to a, pay, a, a fair and perfect judge who knows and author's justice. We don't need to be in charge of revenge that my forgiveness isn't dependent on a person's response. It's dependent on my view of the cross. It's not dependent on a person's response. It's dependent on my view of the cross. And so the very thing that she said and prayed for Dr. Larry Nasser, I think, is true. Those who are apart from a relationship with Jesus, that would be an accurate prayer. That we would experience, they would experience the soul-crushing weight of sin so that they would turn to Jesus and find absolute freedom in relationship with him. That they would know and experience the love and passion that God has for them because anybody who asks for forgiveness from a holy God receives it that they turn and repent of their sin and find a relationship with Jesus Christ and then Christ is the author of change. So that's the prayer. (laughs) Increase our faith. Because what we know about faith is faith moves mulberry trees and mountains. Those places where if you look at a mulberry tree, it's got a root system that goes deep and wide and they're really difficult to pull up and it's very hard to even consider moving those things and it's the image that Jesus wants is. Apostles and disciples to have If you're in the midst of an unmovable moment in your life and an unmovable heart Your prayer is not that things would change Prayer is that God would give you faith you don't have And faith even a mustard seed of it moves mulberry trees and mountains That that I need to be moved and there are insurmountable obstacles that stand before me But I don't have to expect that forgiveness undermines justice because it just doesn't Here's what Tim Keller says Injustice grieves the God we love. It mars the creation we love. It harms the people we love, and it even harms the wrongdoomer, wrongdoer whom we should love, not hate. Tim is absolutely right, just communicating that injustice is not part of God's plan. We might experience it in this life, and maybe it's the justice that God is providing seems slow to come and maybe more extended than we would wish. But the promise is that it will certainly come in this life or the next. God is the author of all truth and the only one that can be a fair judge. So what I want to jump to real quick is 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is just another verse that's defining and helping us understand some of the aspects of forgiveness this is going to be a section and really what we're going to talk about and preach about next week but i want to make sure with the full perspective as possible that we understand the scope of of what god is talking about here and really what's at stake because remember forgiveness is not letting them off the hook but it's letting go of the hook they have in you second corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 Here's what Paul says to the second letter to the church in Corinth. As he's talking in verse 5 about forgiving the sinner, in verse 10, he says, Anyone whom you forgive, I I also forgive, Paul says. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Here's the so that, verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Satan is working overtime in fractured relationships. We we cannot just expect that the very tactics of Satan that have not changed since day one aren't evident, present, and at work in the most real ways in our own hearts and the challenges that we face in relationships. What does Satan do? He's the master deceiver, so he's the author of lies but he kills, devours, and destroys. He's the one at work in fractured relationships. He's working over time. You have a fractured relationship? You have challenges in the context of someone that you love or someone that you thought loved you? Anything that just doesn't seem like it's going right? There are challenges that you're facing in the midst of those relationships with people that you love or Your kids or coworkers or anybody, any fractured relationship at all. You got that? Anyone? Bueller? Yes. Like all of us have those things. Satan's at work. He's present in those things. He's whispering lies into your life and mine, communicating that we need to be the author of justice. That we need to be the ones that design and desire how this debt and the consequences of those sins are carried the gospel tells us that if we have a view of the cross, freedom is what's offered to us. But Satan is at work in real ways. So a couple of other ones that I think are just real quick as I close up here. I think for, forgiveness requires both faith but responds promptly. So Mark 11:25 says this. There are two different things in, in both Mark and Matthew that um, give us an indication of when we've done the sinning and when the sin has been done to us. Mark eleven twenty five says this. And whoever, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven will also, um, so your Father also who is in heaven will forgive you of your trespasses. So he's saying you're in the context of Worshipping and praying and you're thinking about things that are going on in your life and it's affecting your worship. You're having a hard time moving close to God because there's something that's been done. Remember last week we talked about there are two options. There's relational forgiveness and releasing forgiveness. There's sometimes there are people that we aren't able to contact with anymore, whether they have passed away or they've been unreceptive to any opportunities to extend forgiveness towards, we just release them to the Father and allow him to be the one that's doing the work. But I would say, a lot of times, there are those aspects of wounding that we've experienced by people in our life. And if you have something against someone so often, because we live in such a non-confrontational culture, we don't wanna talk about it, and so we don't. And what ends up happening is Satan is at work, and it affects us in very significant ways in our ability to move towards God and worship him. So, forgiveness is an act of faith, but it responds promptly. Like, there's an urgency that's embedded in this desire for forgiveness because God wants to extend freedom. Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24 is the flip side. And I'll close with this. Matthew 5 says this. So if you were offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, so now... It's different. You're the one that's hurt. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's a challenging text because what it's saying ultimately is that so often when you and I come to worship, We're offering our gift, we're offering our lives, we're communicating that we just want Jesus to be the one in charge of our lives and we wanna give ourselves to him, we want him to do all of these things, but it's impeded. Ever been in a church service where nothing felt like it was hitting? (laughs) The songs were just not really ministering to you in a significant way? The sermon was just not awesome? There was just a challenge of different things where it just felt like nothing was getting through? You had people pray for you, but it felt stale? Ask yourself this question before you go anywhere else. Is there any fractured relationship in your life? Anywhere, at any time. We know where we're hiding, and I know where I'm hiding. And yet, the extension of God as we look at the cross is to say, child, I want to give you freedom. I want you to know my peace that passes all understanding, that it will guard your hearts and minds until the day I call you home. Child, I want you to know my love is bigger than the hurt that's been done. And I want you to know that I will provide the necessary faith for the next step because mustard seed faith moves mulberry trees and mountains. And there are many of us here sitting right now in this spot who have been stuck underneath the mountain and the mulberry tree. So the prayer, God, would you just increase our faith? Speak, Lord Jesus, to our hearts this morning. Let us pray. God, we are desperate for you to work. We cannot figure this out so frequently with the wounds that I can regurgitate and remember in an instant. I nurse them in my life, I feed on them and realizing that somehow in some way I actually feel better than those who have hurt me and yet as I look at the cross, I realize that I'm as in desperate need of forgiveness than anyone and so God, would you compel me in my own heart to seek forgiveness and to extend forgiveness with a matter of faith and urgency. God, maybe at times I don't even feel like I have mustard seed faith, but I know that you grant it, and so I would pray the very prayer that the disciples prayed. Increase my faith. Lord, help me to know how to trust you in the midst of these fractured relationships. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit and all the resources of heaven would you keep satan at bay that seeks to confuse and confound our hearts in those moments and we move towards those areas of fractured relationship with the heart of the gospel in jesus name we pray amen